Hello and welcome to CXR, Careers in Radiology. I'm your host Fiona, and this podcast is for medical students interested in exploring radiology, interventional radiology, and radiation oncology. Most medical students get little practical exposure to these fields, so listen as physicians with a wealth of experience in these specialties share a bit about their day-to-day work. Our guests put a familiar face, rather voice, uh, to their fields by sharing a bit about their personalities, their story, and their thoughts about the future. Be curious, think about what's right for you, and please don't be shy to get in contact with me at cxrpod at gmail.com with any questions or to ask a question of one of our guests. Links to any resources we discuss today will be available in the description section on all the major platforms. Happy listening. So welcome to CXR. Welcome to Dr. Richard Tobin. Uh, I'm excited to share a conversation today about your work, uh, bringing the world of pediatric IR to medical students. It's going to be very fascinating. Uh, and to begin, I'd just like to formally introduce you. Um, you're so board certified in uh, pediatrics and radiology. Uh, you have a fellowship in pediatric radiology, um, and you've also trained in pediatric neuroradiology and pediatric interventional radiology. Um, a founder, uh, one of the founders of the specialty of pediatric interventional radiology, which means it's it's very special to talk to you today. Um, and uh, as, as far as I can make out, you've been leading the charge since since the late 70s, uh, pioneering procedures, and um, you also served as the chief of pediatric radiology at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and Phoenix Children's. Um, and in each of these locations, you, you helped set up pediatric radiology practices. You published the first textbook in pediatric interventional radiology back in 2015, um, and you've also served in numerous uh, roles as president, chairman of the board of the Society for Pediatric Radiology, treasurer of the Society of Interventional Radiology, and um, uh, numerous distinctions as well. Uh, Gold medal recipient from the Society for Pediatric Interventional Radiology, Society of Interventional Radiology as well. Um, and the Pioneer Award from the Society of Pediatric Radiology. And you also, which we will talk about a little bit more today, um, uh, you mentor University of Arizona medical students um, in a a novel initiative, a pediatric radiology initiative, which combines uh, mentorship and academic publications, which um, I'm excited to get to later. And on weekends, uh, you can be found cycling your road bike somewhere in Arizona. Um, So welcome again. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, It is a delight to hear from you. Fiona, thank you for the opportunity to talk to everybody. Delighted. Um, so we'll get to it. Um, as, as I mentioned, um, uh, you are a pediatric interventional radiologist and specifically when you were working, it was all aspects of intervention in children, uh, from kids to young adults. So do, um, do tell us a little bit more about pediatric interventional radiology. Yeah. My focus is usually less than 18 from zero to 18, although we now are taking care of adults with congenital abnormalities as well. So we do take care of 60 year olds, 70 year olds, and occasionally older, but they have the focus of a pediatric condition. So 
that's how I, that's my personal interest. And, um, and how we got there was partly preparation and partly serendipity of, of technology changing. So uh, th- let me give that as a sort of an entree. And then Fiona, you could, you could help me to talk about any more specific things. Absolutely. Uh, so you started your career in pediatrics. Um, that that does bring you a unique perspective, I think. Um, and I, I just wanted to add that I'm I'm always amazed at how much peds IR do. Um, they could do everything from uh, you know lymphatic or uh, angio interventions to, as you mentioned, neuro. Uh, neuro intervention and uh, you know gastrostomy, nephrostomy. Uh, you've really got to be on top of your anatomy, right? Well, you see, the thing is, and, and again, here here is a little bit of bias on a personal basis, and a little bit of the reality of the differences between adult medicine and the number and pediatric medicine and the number of caregivers that occupy those spaces. So, from a care from a point a bias point of view. I prefer to be an interventionist as opposed to a proceduralist. Mm-hmm. Interventionists are familiar with and comfortable with a wide range of of technology from a, a, a how to perform interventions and uh, and a, a requisite diagnostic knowledge of from a pediatric point of view, from a medicine point of view, or from a pediatric interventional. Uh, uh, anatomic point of view, so it's a it's a blend, and and uh, and hi- historically we didn't have enough cases to specialize in dialysis or liver or or the sub areas that you see adult interventionists mm-hmm. go into, particularly those in university departments. So we have much more, smaller faculties, fewer uh, interventional rooms, and so. From the get-go, we, in order for us to develop a viable full-time specialty, we needed to do all the cases. And now you do see some people that either they come from adult uh, interventional training or just by preference in places that are trying to subspecialize in areas. Uh, and, and, and I think there's advantages and disadvantages to it. It's not my preference, but, it's, but I understand it. I, I, and from the departments that I built, I would want people who I called interventionists that could do soup to nuts. So we could say yes and take yeah. care of patients. Because to me, what our job is, to jo- is to join the care team to take care of patients. And whatever that means, diagnostics, therapeutics, some combination of both, it doesn't matter. We, that's our role. And, and by the by, when we do our role well, we start mm-hmm. displacing open surgery. Yeah. For minimum invasive. And there's no better population on earth than children to go min- minimally invasive. I mean, there's just so many reasons for that. And the good news is children don't have the complex multi-system disorders that adults have for the most part. So the chance of yeah. of responding positively and getting well from their issue is much better and higher than in an equivalent adult population. So you get the joy of seeing a a child being able to grow up and live a long life, which is as opposed to my age group, you do something great, you don't really, the return on that is is just by nature, can't be as great. So lots of of 
reasons packed in there, but that's sort of my perspective on it. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I really like the, the attitude of roll up your sleeves and, you know, uh, whatever needs, needs doing, um, that that's really fascinating. And, and I imagine PEDS IR is really the place for that, as, as you mentioned, because the faculties are smaller and there's, there's much, much demanded of you, I think as well. Um, so how, I, I suppose to, to help medical students kind of in their, the, uh, contextualize what's going on with PEDS IR, um, uh, so how, how might you train uh, to become a pediatric interventional radiologist, uh, just a Cliff Notes version? Yeah, yeah, it's, there's, there's a bunch of caveats. So in order to get in, there's a couple of ways to get into pediatric intervention. Uh, and uh, and they are all viable today. One, one is to go in, in into P, do, go into training in radiology because you can't train uniquely in pediatric radiology at this point. So you have to do a pediat a general radiology training program, then do a fellowship in pediatric radiology. Mm-hmm. And and places they'll let you do uh, that fellowship in IR, but. From my perspective, you're not you're not as well suited to take care of children if you don't know anything about their their how, what's safe and what's effective and how to care for them. So generally, in the the fellowships that I develop over the over many decades, we would have a first year after you finish radiology. Year one was general pediatric radiology, followed by a dated year in intervention. Alternatively, you can go through radiology, adult interventional radiology fellowship, and then either come back and work in a pediatric institution or and do another year of pediatric intervention, then work. And the most recent one is the direct pathway where you can do an abbreviated radiology and more clinical interventional surgery and other supportive things and become an interventionalist and then either go into a year or directly um, into a practice in pediatric intervention. So there's three viable ways today. Um, wow, wow. And, uh, but they all take time. And uh, radiology in the United States is four years, and then uh, direct pathways too, and then there's plus fellowship years. And even back in the 70s when I trained, which is a long time ago, I did six years of training pediatrics first then radiology and radiology pediatric radiology fellowship so it's uh it's a it's a long road right so uh just to do the the summary for an ms1 or an ms2 uh it's uh it's diagnostic radiology residency is a four-year pathway it starts at pgy2 so you begin with an intern year and then you do four years of radiology after which um, you can have these options to uh, potentially do a pediatric radiology fellowship. Um, uh, so uh, how did you yourself become exposed to PEDS IR uh, if you're in pediatrics first? My mentors uh, at the time from medical school were the ones I met and were influenced by as a medical student had a high prevalence of being pediatric, pediatric trained before radiology training. It was shorter than two. It was three years of general radiology, one year of fellowship, and then one to 
two to three to two years, basically, of pediatrics to be board certified. Uh, so the, the, for me to for you to repeat what I did in the 70s would probably take instead of six years, may take seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not as practical and you won't find as many people becoming pediatricians, although they may take their their one year of clinical training as a pediatric year. Uh, so that would be the, but you wouldn't be it wouldn't be practical to become board certified if if you wanted to move through it as as reasonably straightforward as possible. But you would have to do one and then four of radiology and then and then if you were going to do pediatrics, probably at least one year of fellowship. Mm-hmm. It'll be six years. So you were already contemplating uh, radiology. You just wanted to do peds first, kind of? Yeah, yeah. I, I did because I thought that I would be, a, based on my mentors who were really fabulous at what they did, mm-hmm. both both the pediatric radiology fellows at the time who I was very close with in that period of time and the faculty members, they were mostly pediatricians and they were incredible in my mind. They were just incredible. And um, and I wanted to be like them in, in terms of being able to do the kind of things that they did so effortlessly and well. And uh, and so I, I liked I mean, I was willing to make the investment, not not understanding, not having a goal of being an interventionist or a neuroradiologist. My goal was to be a pediatric radiologist mm-hmm. and be like that. And then, but the, the nice part was with the, the, the unplanned development of the technology right at when I was training allowed me to think differently and my background and preparation was perfect for these next steps because the first thing that happened at the in some places in the late 70s but in most pediatric children's hospitals it was about 1980 or 1981 that's when the first good ct scanners came out and that's when when we were starting to be able to do image guidance that was quickly followed or nearly the same time by high quality ultrasound as opposed to b mode which was very you couldn't use as a guidance but and so by the early 80s, we were ready to go in terms of having high level guidance, you know, cross-sectional imaging and, and image guidance. And that was the key that unlocked intervention because once we could see it, we could hit it and deal with it and think of it in, in procedural terms. And, and neuro was the first thing that happened on the CT scanners. Mm-hmm. So just by, by being in the same place, I. I ended up doing two subspecialties at the same time, not even knowing it. Wow! If so that you, makes you sort of found your 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 career unfolded as the technology was rolling out, and then the potential was there for all these new procedures. That's that's fantastic. Um, right, and but you also prepared yourself incredibly well. So yeah, I didn't do it for the purpose, but but that's the that's the lesson to learn. That's the takeaway, actually, Fiona. The takeaway is is Girl Scout motto, right? Be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yes. Having solid training. And by the way, when you're training, whatever you try, whatever you want to do, it's about the reps, the repetitions. You got to focus and do those repetitions because you need the visual memory or the muscle memory to be able to apply yourself and be able to, to identify abnormalities and find differences 
in contrast and whatever you whatever part you're doing so it's just because i do intervention and i have a, a hand eye part of it that that that's you need lots of reps to to be able to do that but if you want mm -hmm. to be good at chest x-ray you got to read a lot of chest x-rays there's just no there's no substitute for putting in the focused effort absolutely and, and that's why you got to have fun get get sharp you, and stay sharp yeah and have fun doing it because if you're having fun doing it you're going to do it a lot absolutely yes yeah. uh, so that, that should be that should be the motto probably for this podcast as well <laughs> um yeah. so i i did i did sort of i i wanted to to ask you personally like who helped you like who were your mentors or or whom you looked up to you mentioned some some outstanding pediatric radiologists and i just wanted to give you a chance to to maybe talk about that as we as we mentioned before recording uh, mentorship is a key aspect of any young career so uh uh it'll be it'll be good to hear from your perspective on that you know yeah, my my pleasure. The, you know, mentoring is a lifelong thing. It, it's particularly important when you're starting out, but it's also important when you're moving forward um, and you're already in your career. Mentoring is a good thing. Learners are teachers, teachers are mentors. It's just a matter of application and and your own personality and perspective and commitment to learning and teaching. Um, so everybody is a potential mentor. Mine mine were, uh, I was lucky because in Cincinnati, we had giants in radiology and we were exposed to them every day. So on the adult side, we had Dr. Felsen, who was sort of a world renowned chest, ex chest radiologist of the day. And then and many of his colleagues, Jerry Wyatt, uh, Harold Spitz, and a whole bunch of people were 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 models that you you. you I, I didn't want to do what they like to do, but uh, but I liked the way they did it and their commitment to it. So that they were mentors on the pediatric side. I was fortunate to come into contact with with giants in pediatric radiology and the the chief of radiology at Children's when I was a medical student was Fred Silverman who was one of the giants of that era. And then he, he was followed when he retired. Uh, so I went away to become a pediatrician. When I came back, he had retired and the new chief was a, was a, a Canadian guy named Scott Dunbar. And those, and he was also a, a giant in pediatric radiology, but very different than Fred Silverman. And so, so I had those people as sort of the older models of what it took, how they got to their positions. And they taught me without trying to teach me. And then I had the, the people on the ground who I actually physically worked with every day. There were four four incredible fellows, two uh, females and two males that were extremely uh, important in my development. And, and then there were many faculty people. And, and the one that stands out because uh, is a gentleman who has now passed away, sadly named Corning Benton, and Corning was a, a brilliant guy, and he his interest was special procedures. So he's an angiographer, and and uh, and then he was the first. He was the senior appointee to be in charge of neuro when we got that first scanner, and oh. so, and I was his padwan in a way, and and uh, so he he taught me the geographies, 
and and then we learned together although he knew more about neuro than i did but he uh, we learned together and the oddity is he he would take a summer vacation and he had a he he his family owned a little island in a new hampshire lake called lake winnipesaukee and he would go for a week or two in the in the spring to there wasn't electricity on the island so he you know to get the island ready for to be inhabited for from his family for the summer he went he went as he always did the only thing and we just had started a couple of weeks before that ct scanning and um and so we were learning and and then he went away to do his thing in on the island and he left me there to to learn and provide services and yeah and he got sick and he didn't come back for like four to six months. So I was planning to go, the plan was I was gonna go to visit uh, and work with Harwood Nash in Toronto, which they were, they had a, a head start on us in terms of having the, the equipment earlier, and mm-hmm. uh, which I never went because by the time Corning got back, I had done thousand, more than a thousand cases. And I mean, I suffered through every single one of them because I didn't know anything about it. I mean, it was new. You know, mm-hmm. and so so I was learning, and I was oh, man, did I did I look up stuff? Wow! So we and uh, by the time he came back, I was okay, and uh, and we never looked back. And we both did it, and as it went along, then I got interested more and more in the in the what the the cross-sectional imaging and guidance could do. And so he gave me support and I went and did that. And with my friends, they were just a little bit ahead of me on the faculty. I started in 1980 on the faculty. Mm-hmm. They were maybe a year or two ahead. One was my my dear friend, Robert Kaufman, who was subsequently chief at, at uh, St. Jude. And then Enrique Letterman, who's a Brazilian guy that worked with us in the US and uh, uh, now is back in Sao Paulo where, where he lives doing his thing and those guys uh, gave me the moral support and uh, and sometimes technical knowledge to to do stuff and we made catheters we made wires we built stuff because there wasn't there wasn't anything so the first couple of years we did a lot of developmental things and a lot of innovating well we we had a build you know it's like you had no choice if you were going to do it you can't put a five french catheter in a in a three kilo baby it just doesn't go so well so we had a we had to learn, and uh, those were different times. We built watt catheters and shaped them and d- did all different things. So it was a, a very very steep learning curve. Took us a few years before we were really going, mm-hmm. but once the ball started rolling down the hill, it just kept picking up speed. So and now we're I don't know 30 or 40 years later, and uh, you see what you see before you. So but it starts. That's the way new things start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, uh, talking about Dr. Dr. Benton there, it's it's uh, it does seem so important to have colleagues, to have friends, to to um, ask, to consult, kind of as you as you're going along. Um, I I think probably most residents will probably agree with this, but like a program that has numbers, that has mentor formal mentorships, um, and those types of outlets, because you are kind of you're when you're on your own you're on your own and um uh, certainly 
having someone else you can pull in who has particular expertise in, in a certain area, or in the case of Dr. Benton was a little more experienced, uh, must have made a huge difference. And, and you definitely noticed while he was gone, but um, you you uh, honed your skills by repetition, which also is so important. So Remember, and the, the, the times, the eras are different, and the way where we learn and brought up as is different but it's a it's a wonderful uh, pleasure to, and opportunity to to have somebody built in for you to to connect to and that's great but you don't it's not a must you, mm -hmm. you connect you could connect differently but you, you you know you're not there to be spoon-fed you're there to learn and and put in effort so you're if you want to be a, a mentee then you have to put in the work and, and the time to earn the privilege to for that other person to, to spend the time on you. So it's, it's, and take, it's not it's not like you're a little sparrow and mama, papa sparrow come back and throw a worm in your mouth. You've got to do something <laughs> to participate in the effort, right? Of and, course. And so it's, it's a very mentoring and me being a mentor and a mentee it's the same thing it's it you met the mentee and mentors the mentor the mentor mentors the mentee you because i learned from juniors from medical students even today plenty of they have plenty to teach me if i'm open to listen and i and i become a better mentor if i'm if i'm connected to the person and i understand better what they're looking for but they have to make it so that i it's enjoyable and worthwhile for, that I feel it's worthwhile to spend my time and to transferring that kind of knowledge. So it has to be the best, the best relationship to active. Absolutely. And th this is exactly why I think these types of productive conversations are, are a way for students to triage, you know, what, what is it that I'm searching for or or looking for in my specialty um which as as we've seen you know from from your long illustrious career can can be 30 40 years of your life um uh, uh it is you know if you're willing to put in the effort and if you want to do the physical repetition and and you you find uh pediatrics exciting and that that sort of thing then then you could maybe start to ask the right questions to see whether you see yourself in in a specialty such as pediatric ir um but you're absolutely correct that that a lot of um particularly the procedural specialties like you are going to be on your own um, and, and you have to know how to ask for help when it's appropriate to ask for help and when sometimes you need to work it out on your own and uh, uh, it certainly sounds like uh, the late 70s and early 80s there was a lot of working it out on your own because there there weren't any textbooks um, uh, so I, I suppose well, thank you for contributing to that uh, that sphere with your own book um, yeah, but it was in 2015, so it took a. It went from 1970s to 2015 <laughs> without a manual. Yeah. <laughs> but but the but the thing is, is that what I'm, I I don't want to give the wrong impression. The impression is, is that the more interactive the relationship is, the more fruitful it becomes. If you are only passive and you want somebody to do something for you, then that has a problem because the more senior person has a lot on their plate, especially in medicine today. It's a special it's a special commitment and a special bond that could be formed between one or 
the mentor and one or more mentees, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we'll get to this later, but right now from the from the pediatric community, I am mentoring 27 medical students now, today. Wow. Same time. And so, but they have to be very active in their role so I could be effective in helping them because I can't, I'm not going to do it for them, but I'll be happy to do it with them. But they have to put out the initial, they have to put out the effort, whatever it takes. Absolutely. Right? And that's, and then you do, we, everybody wins. I'm happy to give the, what I know and, and share it, mm -hmm. but I'm not willing to be their mother. So the, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it's, it's effective. I mean, we've written 120 things, manuscripts already. Fantastic. So it's a very effective process when both parties are engaged. And a lot of times it's the, it's the, it's the attending that's not engaged. So I'm not put, this is not a deal for medical students. You gotta have an active participatory relationship or it's a waste of time. Absolutely. I was I was delighted to hear about this initiative with the Journal of Applied Radiology because, you know, I, I think for medical students, it, it can be very challenging to to get a, a firm base in research. And that's increasingly what's being looked for uh, in residency. Uh, you know, so so there's a lot of pressure, um, I think, on students and, and also on students to decide what they want to do early so they can kind of uh, build that CV. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was great, uh, this, this idea you originated. Um, so I'd, I'd love for you to share the story. Um, I think our yeah. listeners would love it too. So what, what inspired you to begin, or what's the history of the, the pediatric community in the Journal of Applied Radiology? Yeah, sure. The, uh, it's a good segue, I guess. The, so in the U.S., the USMLE Step 1 which is sort of the morphing of the, what we used to have as a national boards, the first piece of it. Hmm. Uh, that historic, until January of 2022, in other words, this January, that was a scored examination. Mm -hmm. And it was scored like all large examinations, like medical school entry exams, like uh, high school tests and all of these measuring tests, they were graded on a, a national scale. And as a student, you took it and you fit in some place and you got you got a percentiles and so on. Um, mm. And as a and so that became an important tool for residency directors to have fit into their how they design their own programs with their preferences different for different programs but that was a very steady scoring tool that that had some meaning then as of this year it switched to pass fail so now now all of a sudden the the this whole the whole secondary components of how that test was used is now thrown is thrown away and mm -hmm. so one, one of the several things that happened is what you mentioned which is there was a, a greater focus on getting to differentiate yourself from a from a, a, a productivity point of view to the student is now forced on there to be more creative and finding a way to differentiate themselves from the medical student community when it comes to competing for jobs that are or training programs that have a limited a limited capacity absolutely so so one of the things that 
we saw, of course, was more a, a, a much more redirected interest in in research, uh, and so and so, but way before this, so we started our program. This PD, we started the concept of communities with uh, we work with the editor of the of applied radiology. Mm-hmm. We def- we find this as a concept for pediatric radiology. It was the only one at the time. Now it's been the community concept been successful, and I think there's six of them. They have, they've added other ones. Um, and what 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 we want to do? I did this with my son, who is a mid-career pediatric radiologist. Uh, his name like is Alex. Like son. Well, sort of, but <laughs> he, his focus is different. But this mm. part of the joy of of learning and teaching and publishing that's been uh, sort of a something that we do together, or he we both do, and. Um, and so we started that in at the very end of 2014 so it predates all the rest of it and the the idea was is that if you go look at at trainee how people train you find that most of them is most of the training you do is rote especially when you're in your clinical years is rotation based mm-hmm. so and that could be it's mostly one month yes it could be four, it could be four weeks it could be five weeks whatever but it's mostly in a cycle of around a month and sometimes you can go longer a couple of three months on let's say some uh, some things like medicine or peter or something like that. so so you have a, a time period and so what we tend to focus on in academics is peer-reviewed projects mm-hmm. And the problem is that that does not suit the needs of or the time of trainees. Yeah. So, so they frequently either can't participate, they don't want to because they know that it's a problem and they can't sustain it or for lots of different reasons. And, and even when they work on it, because the project doesn't, is not usually completed, even when they leave, they don't, they may not even get on that paper. Mm-hmm. And so it's like working in a lab, you know, you work all this time, you come in every freaking day and then nothing. Yeah. And, and, and so it's frustrating and it's in a, in my opinion, it's not right. And so, and I, and I was a part of that my whole life because that I worked in, in an academic institution and I was the chief. Right. So, yeah. and so as a mentor during that period of time, I mentored people for decades and and some we could fit with the fellows we could fit with long projects but the but the residents and medical students and we couldn't and yeah. so we found, we try to find case reports or, but then the journals don't want case as many didn't want case reports anymore so it, it became sort of barren and we had to sort of figure it out almost on a on a project by project basis yeah. so so i knew from a long being a mentor and and training people that there was this problem and so i wanted to focus this pediatric community on education teach learning because you you if i give you a topic and you write about it you got to read about it and so learn more than you normally would about that topic and then become when you read about it you become a teacher and you know you have a mini expertise just on this little teeny thing but if you do enough of them you have a lot of teeny things and all of a sudden it grows mm-hmm. and you become and you and your your whole career process changes because you have more of a 
you want to read the literature, you want to learn from the literature, and then you might as well double dip and get something out of it if you can. So, so you get more connected, it gets easier, it gets more fun. And uh, so, and I wanted it to had to be able to do it in a rotation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it also fulfills a need, right? Because uh, I, I don't, you know, personally in my medical education, I, I haven't had specific pediatric imaging education. Um, I, I believe there might be one lecture in pediatrics on pediatric radiology, um, but that's it, you know? We let we encourage people in medical school to, uh, they're writing about pediatric imaging topics but mm -hmm. you could you could be going into geriatrics. It doesn't matter. And as a medical student, you don't need to focus your writing on your future career that you don't even know what it is. It's it's not a it's a worry that is unnecessary. So mm -hmm. you, you get an opportunity to write something and learn something. I already showed you how it helped my career without knowing what I was going to do. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's just education and learning, teaching, fun. I mean, that's the whole thing here. So you could finish. So we know that you could take more than a month to do it. I, I don't care, but you, but you can do it easily within a month. And I have people turning them around in one to two weeks. So it, it's just, yeah, it's brilliant. It's easy. And, and so it's it's sort of like curated you know you use your expertise to kind of conceive of a project idea that's reasonable for students and you're right. you're so experienced that you kind of know you know what level of a project is is going to be suitable for them that's really that's really great they're all the same Fiona, in the sense that they're all case reports mm -hmm. they're case reports. they're they have they they can be found in index medicus but they're not conventionally peer-reviewed another thing that's overrated as a student if i'm trying to be promoted to ultimately the professor i need peer review right but, right yeah but, yeah but what you need are line items you need cv line items that are something different than wheeling an old person around in a nursing home that is not going right. to differentiate from your peers Mm -hmm. Contributing to the literature is one is one of many ways to differentiate yourself from peers yeah. and comp and compete and learn and so on. So the way that the way our system works and it's been honed down a little bit, although it still has the same bones as when we started. Mm -hmm. The it's I generally pick the topic and it's based on what my colleagues give me cases. I screen the cases and. And generally they get it, I like it. And then we have I have a library of cases that constantly get replenished because I go through them so fast nowadays. And and so you, you say, Oh, Rich, I want I, I'd like to do work with you on on something. Okay. And I say, Okay, uh, I have a case of a duodenal hematoma and uh, okay, that's your and that's your case. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your interest is in the future. I care, but it's not relevant to the choice. I say, okay, your case for applied radiology is a duodenal hematoma. And I will either give you a snippet from the a medical record that's blinded to you from a, from a, a HPI point of view. And I, and I tell you, I want it. And I have a format that it's, you could look at applied radiology or I give you a style guide just to help. And so, and if I don't have the snippet from the medical record, then one of your co-authors 
who I work with a, a, a group that's pretty stable over time. Mm -hmm. My son Alex and my former colleague uh, Carrie Schaefer, and and we will supply you with the clinical the pertinent clinical summary, you know, two-year-old with blah, 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 positive this, this lab, this culture, this pathology, whatever, okay? With a, with a diagnosis. Then you write about imaging, the imaging profile, so imaging findings. So if it's a duodenal hematoma, you get a submucosal hematoma blocks. It may or may not block the, the lumen at the, at the level of ligament or wherever, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you write the, you could do upper GI, you can do endoscopy, you can do blah, 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 and that's imaging. Mm -hmm. Then you would write a diagnosis, which we give you, and then if appropriate, you add a differential diagnosis. So do a, 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 a small bowel tumor uh, syndrome with, you know, pooch egg or something, okay? And and then you that would be your differential and you, you, you might write a little snippet about that. And then the big part of it is a discussion related to the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. wow. And then, and then your co-authors will then pick the imaging for you because you're not really able to do that. And we will write the legends. Great. Wow. Right. So, so, the, stu so the student has a, a robust, you know, backbone to work off of. Right, but you but you're doing the thing that you're good at. You're good at learning. You're good at reading the literature and su summarizing that into a package that discusses duodenal hematoma or whatever the the topic is, so your colleague could read it and learn about it. Or if I'm refreshing for something, or I or I have a case and I want to see what it looks like and I want to know and do it in five minutes, I read the case. So so it's there's a little bit in it for everybody. Uh, but it's, I mean, it, and it's, it's easy to do. If this is not fun, you are not going to be cut out to do this kind of stuff as a, a future in your career, but it's as easy as it gets to write something. So we've had in, in the 120 Samard papers we've written, we've, I think there've been two students who dropped out, which is okay. Not a problem. So we have a very high completion rate. And if you're the, if you write the first draft, you will be first author. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. I, I think also like yeah, medical students like well, anyone throughout their career should be practiced in being able to summarize information, convey it concisely, and you know share it to others. That's kind of like it, it's a prerequisite in medicine. It, it doesn't independent as you said of the of the specialty of the. Uh, whether you have an academic appointment or not, like you, you still, you still need that um, skill. So, uh, like you mentioned earlier about repetition, I, I think it can be really useful for students. So, um, uh, the, the main goals of uh, of this initiative, um, you've you've fortunately given me a few notes here, but learn, teach, mentor, and any others. Learn, teach, mentor, fun. <laughs> Learn, teach, mentor, and fun. Fantastic. The, um, the other thing is, is that you're welcome to publish uh, my email address. If any of your colleagues in, in at Trinity or anywhere in Ireland are interested, they could just drop me an email. And if they're interested to participate, they can. Brilliant. And, uh, um, yeah, so, and you, have so, your, you have a website, correct? Like the, no. 
No, it's just applied. It's not mine. No, but they could get me at r t o w b i n dot com at gmail dot com. Perfect. R t o w b i n at gmail dot com. They could, and I'd be delighted to work with them. I try to talk to everybody before they get started, so I tell them about the process and you know and answer any questions that are available that I can't answer, and uh, then we'll do most everything else by uh, email and com- com- communicate by. By phone, by text, by email, whatever, and that's how I do it with the, all the folks that I've 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 worked with, and uh, seems that it works. It's smooth. It works fine, and uh, and no expectations, no deadlines. Uh, if it doesn't happen over, you know, it ought to, it should be easily done in in a month or two. But and so if it starts dragging, I'll contact the the student and see if they're interested. If they've lost interest, no hard feelings. We'll just move on and give the give it to somebody else but they won't be on a paper absolutely absolutely the only way to get on is to be first author yeah yeah of course um so uh, thinking thinking about your experience leading this platform you said since 20 2014 um how how has the sort of progress been um i think you mentioned uh, that the new change of step one to pass fail will make make a difference for students needing more uh, right. sort of no, a more robust CV. Um, so so how how have things been developing? How well you know it's interesting that you asked that. So when I started this until until 2020, mm-hmm. so we the students decided they wanted to do a symposium on radiology and intervention. And uh, and so, 2020, they had about 40 schools uh, involved, maybe uh, wow, 150, wow. 200 students, uh, and, and there's international students, so you could be involved too. And then the second year, there were like 300 or 350 people, and and 90 schools involved, almost doubled. And and uh, just as part, and they asked me to speak on in both of those years about pediatric radiology and part of it was this a very s- small uh, time spent on on research and and this particular program and that sort of uh, led to to uh, a spurt in growth outside of Arizona because uh, you know that has almost self-sustaining at this point and so that when it started from 2014 to about 2020 or 2019 there was just university of arizona which is what it was focused on and then uh, now we have students from 10 medical schools in the u.s and one in the middle east and in algeria wow wow and that and that basically all of those students uh came from those symposia Wow. Wow. Yeah, I I would. um, So so that was obviously uh, sort of spurred on, I think, probably by the the pandemic, I would I would guess. Yeah, I work uh, I work with a a former medical school friend and colleague who now is a mentor and uh, and works for at the medical student as a counselor and mentor for you know students and he, his part of development he's also he's an adult interventionist that mm-hmm. coincidentally you know a very prominent guy named named uh, skip van sonnenberg and uh, who's been very active in adult uh, abdominal interventions mm-hmm. and uh, and he and i were friends in medical student school and then we were, stayed friends but we didn't have a lot of regular contact 
And then we reconnected and I started doing more with the department to help with scholarly project. And then we developed this and we've been working together on this for a long time now. And, um, and so, you know, we keep, we, we're learning from each other also how to, how to be better at, at doing this, but, uh, but he provided a, the forum and the, to, to have the students uh, do research. And they came up with this idea of the symposia and the medical, the students run it. And, um, wow. and so, and now it's, it's become a big deal. And, and this year we're going to do it again. And uh, this year I'm just going to speak about the, the program that the applied radiology program, this pediatric community has gotten big enough with data. Uh, so I just presented the data at the society for pediatric radiology. I presented it in, uh, uh, at, in, we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and I just presented it at a kind of invitation society called Caffey Society. Mm. And it's, it's getting a lot of buzz because it's so, uh, I mean, I'm happy, but a little surprised, but because nobody's been able to figure this part out and by accident, not by accident, but the, this model that we set up seems to be one that works well with with trainees particularly the medical students and no wonder because you know i asked the medical students about it when i first started it what what's interest them how would they what would they need and so on and that that became a very important piece in the development of what the program is has morphed to because i made the the wonderful mistake of of asking them what they wanted in a lecture in 2019 and and they and they told me what they wanted which was nothing about medical uh knowledge clinic. points yeah 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 which of course i had been doing incorrectly for nah, something like 40 years and um and so it was like a bland blinding flash of the obvious and uh and they wanted once to hear about CV stuff, right? Resumes. They want, yeah. They wanted. They wanted to know how to how to get involved in research, how to develop a CV, how to compete. Uh, they want to know about specialty stuff and you know training things and things that that universally medical students will be interested in. Except I wasn't as connected because I was way past uh, being in that crowd. So yeah. so I re and I never took the time to ask the right question. Um, and then and it was an it was a wonderful aha moment, and uh, and I think it's in a in a large way it straightened straightened me out and got um, and got us thinking about better ways to to do things. Um, I think we're we, we've gotten better. I'm sure we can still get a lot better, but um, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Here here at CXR, like I'm. I'm undertaking an iterative process as well, like as much as possible. I try to ask my classmates and uh, listeners uh, whether they, you know, what questions they found valuable and whether they want me to ask um, more or different things, um, which sort of segues a little bit onto the, the sort of broader tapestry of pediatric IR, which is where you, uh, what you got into, what you spent most of your career doing. Um, and uh, I just wanted to ask a little about what your thoughts are on the future of, of PEDS IR, um, and then maybe we can return a bit to um, to the applied radiology platform. Yeah, okay, sure. Ask away. Yeah. So, so what what are you seeing in the in the sort of future of PEDS IR? It seems like since 
since IR grew as a specialty, you know, from the old uh, Charles Daughter era, um, uh, the technology's been rapidly improving and uh, the number and complexity of procedures has been increasing and a lot of adults, um, uh, interventional radiologists would would heavily, I would probably say heavily subspecialize, um, you know, become specifically abdominal focused um, IRs. Um, so, so how are things, how are things progressing in in peds IR um, from your perspective? Uh, Forty years in the business. Well, it's um, I, I don't ever, I don't think it's going to merge in that in that way, or if it does, it'll be still a long time away. Because again, we don't, children are generally much more healthy than adults. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, and they're not payers. So th those create some imbalances in care and, and economics and stuff like that. Uh, so there, there is a trend toward sub subspecialty focus in pediatric, uh, but, but it's not quite, it's not, a, not robust like it is an adult. And it isn't a full separation, so I only do uh, dialysis, or I only do liver, yeah. or or abdominal, or vascular, or this or that. There's preferences, but if, if you did that in pediatrics, you wouldn't have anybody to take call, or everybody, yeah, yeah. You, you everybody'd be on call, and be sure that interventionists are going to be on call. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to be a surgeon equivalent, then you got to be a surgeon equivalent is the nature of the beast. I mean, disease doesn't present when you want it to present. Uh, so, so it's a different mindset than diagnostic radiology, which is more controllable from that perspective. And you can't do it remotely, right? You can't yeah. do it. Well, robotics, I guess, could, could change that a bit, but the, but still you got to be involved. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so I don't think we're going to go down that road quite as deeply, although people like that preferences. Uh, I know from my practice, if you said I only do this, I would say, well, do it someplace else. I can't, I can't pay you what you think you, you're worth and then have you not contribute to the general, mm -hmm. the good of the, your colleagues. It just doesn't work. So, yeah, um, so I, I think that there are places that think differently, have different coverages because they have they don't have pediatric interventionists, or they have one, or, or so they have an adult mm -hmm. uh, div divisional mentality, operational mentality. So you see all of these models around, but at the children's hospital, uh, not so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure it'll go in somewhat in that in that direction as numbers get so much bigger i mean when i started i dreamt of a thousand cases in a year i didn't know if it was possible yeah we finally we finally did that by the mid 80s mm -hmm. uh, which was a joy and also a shock and now we're in excess of eight thousand cases so uh, so you i quickly realized that there is no limit the yeah. limit is is equipment and physicians and tech and evolution uh, and and I know from I know it in, sort of deep in my DNA that anytime open procedures can go away, they will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Minimally invasive just makes sense. Yeah, you, it's it's better for people. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I, I wonder just just sorry to to yeah. um, interject a little bit there, but um, do do you happen to know off the top of your head like how how many beds or like how how big Phoenix Children's is or I mean Children's Hospital of Philadelphia? Those are all. The, the, those are the among the bigger ones in the country yeah. and the bed numbers have dropped over the years the big ones used to be six eight hundred and and even in toronto which was very big it was, i think they even had a thousand beds but there's more and more drift to outpatient medicine for lots of reasons yeah. uh, so so i think the big ones are in the five six hundred range mm -hmm. And the, and then there's you know a bunch of them in the 300 range and then less than 150. I think if you go yeah. look at yeah. the ears, I think that can provide a, a little bit of context. Just thinking in terms of you know what what does a fellowship year look like at a, a, a one of the major children's hospitals um, and kind of how how many cases you might see, what kind of volumes. So th that's really interesting. You you also mentioned um, sorry I'm, I would just a parenthetical. If you're gonna do a fellowship, don't yeah. go to a small program. Yeah. Okay. You yeah, need yeah. you need reps. You need reps. Yes. Yeah. It's a, sorry. Like muscles. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you you also sorry just uh, kind of taking a quick peek at, at uh, some of your responses here. You mentioned that uh, you know on the IR side there's new devices and techniques that are developing and involving. You also mentioned uh, equity of salary and benefits has occurred. Would would that have played in? You know, for example, in your early career, like what what you would be choosing, or or no, not me personally, but um, but it is a big it is a big deal, and it does if it's one of the major um, comparators in choice. Mm -hmm. uh, benefits, vacation time, benefits, salary uh, is a is is the big is a big deal. I, I I invite people to consider when you're when that becomes appropriate for you in your medical career, mm -hmm. regardless of where you live and what the system is. The first thing you need to this just very personal opinion to me the most important thing is the your job. What do you do? What's expected? What support will I have? How how could I do my job and get better at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. So what I say is, is medicine is medicine, business is business. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you don't have a good job, then what's the difference? What the benefits are? are you going to take a bad job for the benefits? So if you do that, then most people will end up unhappy. Mm -hmm. So my advice is don't do it. And even though, oh, I can make this much money. I never made this much money. Wow. It's fantastic. I could buy this, that. Okay. Fair enough. But you got to work every day and if you're not good at it you're not going to be working every day so mm -hmm. so focus on the right thing and the right thing is being a good doctor and 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 making and doing the right thing for your patients Absolutely. okay then the second part is doing the right thing for you and your family and that's the business part so when you're negotiating focus on the medicine don't ask about benefits don't ask about vacation don't ask about that ask about the job because if you came into my if I was recruiting and you came and you start the first five questions were how much time off do I have? Uh, I want to, I can't start working because I got to take my, I got to take my kid to the bus stop. You're not going to, I'm not going to give you a job because you see, the thing is, I don't care about your gender, your age, your color, your anything. I care about your skill as a physician mm -hmm. and I'm willing to 
pay everybody in, in that range based on experience and so on, right? But not anything else. I don't care about anything else. Not a thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Putting patients and first. So, yeah. And, and fluoro starts at a time you be there, right? You can't come when, when oh, I saw my kid off. To, I went to the doctor. No, you are the doctor. Be there so you treat your patients. The schedule begins when it begins. Mm-hmm. Then once you got that part done and you say, oh, I have a fit. I like to work in this place. It has all these things I like. Okay, great. So now let's talk about personal compensation, vacation time, benefits, and let's just put that other stuff aside. We got that worked out. Yeah. Now let's now let's talk about you. Let's talk about what your needs are, what you want to do, what you hope to do, and let's see if we could make you happy with that part too. Yeah. Also, you know, so that that's always been my approach to to recruiting. Mm-hmm. I want people to be happy. I want you to have fun because you're going to be better. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for me because I don't ha- I don't have to manage that as many problems mm-hmm. because we have a good understanding about what your expectations are to, from your professional side and what you expect of me and the and the employer on on a personal side. And if we could get a good balance of that, then it's it's yeah, good. yeah, absolutely. Like total clarity with the the sort of roles and expectations and that sort of thing can can really, you know, the the worst thing probably is to hire someone who's like, oh, I didn't expect that, or you know, I who kind of is is uncomfortable with the the terms of their contract, and maybe it's just because they didn't like ask properly about it. Um, so absolutely, like like do your research and. Uh, be and be alert to the fact that like are you focusing on being a better doctor I guess um, or are are you just after after the vacation so um... focus on both Fiona you know it, it's not <laughs> one or the other it's both but you have to it, it's easier from a discussion standpoint if mm-hmm. you know both parties know what you're discussing that's that that's just a formatting thing and you don't want to give the, the impression as a, as a person looking for a job you don't want to give the impression that that the only thing you care about is time off and money mm-hmm. yeah even if it's you don't that's not the impression to give so the impression to give is how you can contribute to the overall benefit of the medical team you're on and how do you add to that team how do you add to patient care how do you add to the organization of the team and there's many ways to add even as a young a young faculty member mm-hmm. and then then within the the range of each place there's going to be different schemes for reimbursement and and vacation time and and that depends on that's different by specialty it's different by hospital i mean and so you you, you have to do a little bit of due diligence to try to find the right mix Mm-hmm. that because I expect you if you're going to get paid a lot of money you got to realize you got to cover that money right you have to make it with profit so that you could get it paid right you don't nobody's mm-hmm. giving away for free vacation oh, yes. so you have the group has to earn it and if you don't then somebody else does and the more discrepancy imbalance there is between who earns what mm-hmm. that's that's where the the staff uh, the friction could come from, which that's a big issue, right? Reimbursement, mm-hmm. time off, that kind of stuff. So, so pulling your weight, contributing, being a, a happy, you know, come in happy, work hard, that becomes important because of the group dynamic. 
And, uh, you know, you got to work with your own personality and with your own skill set. And, but that's a, that's how to grow and kind of make friends and influence people in a way is by, by focusing on how you can help the group, not just you. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have, absolutely, if you help. absolutely, fantastic advice, Doctor Doctor Tobin. I think I think also, yeah, like like some some you know, touching on workplace culture, I guess as well, um, will will be useful for uh, early career uh, students and and residents as well. So thank you so much for for sharing some of your perspectives on that. Um, the so. You know, it's, it's, it's been wonderful chatting today. I uh, can't wait to see the developments um, with your uh, your your work with the uh, with applied radiology that we talked about earlier and uh, your your mentoring experiences. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, sort of start to close out the discussion with with a, a recommendation of yours kind of. You know, you you have years of years of knowledge all distilled down. So so any sort of prescription you could offer maybe for medical students as they're they're making these big decisions. There, there's no one size fits all. That's for sure. Definitely. Don't no, don't don't be influenced by the by the local news or the national news that these kind of doctors and these specialties are more or less. Um, desirable and they're they, they and they're there's all, all this politics um go do what do what you are well suited for and that you like doing and focus on the what we would call scut or common stuff mm-hmm. there are great cases that come from every subspecialty but what you do every day is routine so yeah. make sure you like make sure you first like the routine and then go go train and get the, and then life will, will give you opportunities. And, and hopefully the more prepared you are, you'll be able to make good decisions about those opportunities and find those fits, find fits in a mentor, find fits in your future faculty uh, group, find, find those fits. So you work, so you have a environment that you feel comfortable in, safe in, and you could, and you could contribute to by hard work, by effort, by intelligence, and and grow. Because the easiest time you have in medicine is today. Mm-hmm. You will never have it easier than medical school. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm, I'm just telling you the, the, the fact of this. You're, you have the, the least amount of responsibility in medicine that you ever will have. Mm-hmm. You have the least pressure for productivity that you've ever had. You have the least pressure for advancement than you've ever will have. So enjoy it and make the most from it and get yourself mentally and intellectually prepared for what's coming next will be which will be incremental integration into a more complex system that has higher expectations both physically and work hours and intellectually and and start doing things that have a positive effect on people and then all the politics that go with it but uh, but thank you so much yeah this is an incremental deal and you have uh, several years to prepare yourself and we're talking about different ways uh, of how you integrate and get yourself ready because what we've just been talking about are many ways of competing getting yourself ready for your next phase and and 
trying to come in as prepared as possible. So when you hit the next phase, it's an easier um, transition. Hit the ground running. Hit the ground yes. running. Absolutely. Uh, well, listen, thank you so much today. Um, uh, I will absolutely link to the the um, Applied Radiology page, um, sub page uh, that you've got going. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing uh, input. Sometimes input from the audience comes to our email, but uh, we've already shared your email on the podcast. I'll, I'll link that in the description if anyone wants to get in touch with you. Uh, maybe talk further about um, uh, about your current initiatives and, and what's going on. Um, and, and I just wanted to squeeze in uh, an audience question from, from Twitter. Um, is yeah that that we, we we did mention this before we started the interview i might so so we have a uh, screaming md on twitter <laughs> is pediatric ir a consultant model or a clinic model and so we discussed this i i think it's it's asking whether you just receive uh, referrals from other services, like you know, uh, we need vascular access, and then you just return the patient back back to the service they were they were um, attached to. Or um, do you sort of see patients in in continuity type settings in in a clinic? Got it. I understand. Thanks. The so the answer is both, um, and it, and it may vary a bit from place to place. But in pediatric intervention, it's it's uh, most and most places that are dedicated pediatric intervention, it's both. So if you use your example, Fiona, the for for vascular access, we would get a call that, uh, and we would we would just consult and do it, and then we would the patient would return to to the referral doctor, and and. It, they would integrate the care from there. And then we would get, if they need more care in this regard, we would do it when needed. Um, and and we, we would try to teach them about venous conservation and, and other things that we think are important uh, along the way. Then there's, a, then there's the clinic model, which is sort of the continuous care model. And we have mixtures of that. Number one is in our place, not all places do this, but our place, we would make rounds Mm -hmm. Our place, we would have a clinic. In other words, we would see patients independently. We would schedule it. We would see them. We would write notes on them. Mm -hmm. We would provide continuous care. And that would be, but that care would be focused on a problem basis. Mm -hmm. So, and a good example of that would be vascular malformations. Those are tend to be lifelong and need, and, and need, yeah, they need follow-up and focused care sessions and then they could be long gaps and then they would come back and if they had issues related to their va their venous their vascular malformation they would call us primarily i understand so so to, to model to to sort of contextualize the model the clinic the clinic portion would be more like a specialist clinic you're not there like general physician you don't work in that capacity you you focus on the problem for which you perform interventions um and you follow up with the patient as needed if they're going to continue needing your services yes yeah great that's a good example yeah. yeah. Thank. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. It's. It's. It. Uh. It just helps so much to to have an expert kind of distill distill um the the uh, workflow and the environment and just sort of like put put a 
familiar voice to to uh, the particular specialty and focus. So I, th I think it's great that we return to that uh, after meandering through so many really exciting topics uh, where hopefully students can take away um, some really valuable things uh, from your years of experience. So, so thank you very much again. Um, I look forward, to, uh, maybe hopefully uh, talking to you again in the future as, as things are developing um, with all your projects and uh, I, I wish you the best. Thanks so much again. You know, thank you for the opportunity to talk to everybody and just a reminder, I'm inviting all of the students, uh, all the Irish students uh, or anybody else that you work with to, to join us and and have some fun and, and, and do some do some work together. And all I have to do is contact me. They could do it directly if they wish. And so I hope I hear from some folks that are interested. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to CXR this week. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Richard Tobin. Lots of good advice for uh, starting out your career and uh, your choice of specialty. Um, as always, get in contact, cxrpod at gmail.com. And uh, see you next time. Mm -hmm.